Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance Podcast. I'm today's host, Lexi Miller, joined for the introduction with Andrew Simmons. Andrew, how's it going? It's going good, Lexi. Great. So this episode is with Laura Cardo, and she is the founder of a website called Outdoor Beginner. She also is one of the lovely people in Golden who works at the Golden Runner's Roost. Uh, she has a coaching company where she works specifically with women who are new to the world of running. And in this episode, we talk about the intimidation and kind of the elitism in the outdoor world that causes people to not really want to be new to something. So Andrew, I know you've had an experience where you were recently returning to a sport and had some of that intimidation. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, you know, I actually originally started in endurance sports with triathlon. And so, you know, over the last nine years, I last, the last race I did was a sprint with, uh, my wife, my now wife, Katie, at the time we were just dating back in Michigan before, uh, I moved out here. Um, but the biggest race I'd done before that was my Ironman in 2011. So it has been count it 11 years, um, since I'd done anything like really competitive and really tried to like, be like, oh, this is my comfort zone. This is my space. And so <laughs> I went to a, a triathlon locally at Bear Creek here, uh, with Katie and, um, I got onto the swim and I'm like, okay, I know how to swim. I've been swimming all my life. No big deal. And I got into the water, got 200 meters in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just went out way, way too hard. I felt like my wetsuit was like choking me around my neck. I was like, I remember like trying to like pull it down with my left hand and trying to like doggy paddle and people are like coming around me. It was super intimidating. And so I was like, oh, I started to hyperventilate, started to freak out, flipped over onto my back. I'm like, if I can just like float and breathe and catch my breath and calm down, you know, just try to relax. I'll be good. And like, as I was like about to be good, someone came by and they put their hand on my face and like, I got like baptized <laughs> in Bear Creek Lake Park while hyperventilating. I flipped over really quick and I swam over to the kayak. And I remember asking the lady in the kayak, I said, if I touch the kayak, am I out? She's like, no. And I'm like, cool. And so she just kind of looked at me and I was I was like, oh, I felt like a little bit offended, but then I realized like, yeah, this makes sense. She's like, oh, is it your first time? And I'm like, no, this isn't. I'm just having a bad swim. And I kind of had to remind myself that like being a beginner is a really intimidating place to be because you don't know, right? I knew that I was going to be okay. And I knew that I would be able to finish that swim and I just had to calm down and I was going to be okay. But had that been my first experience, that might've been it. That I might've, might've just said, Hey, I'm good for the day. Like, um, that's really, that's really the end of this for me. And I had to know in my brain that I was going to finish that swim. And I remember the last hundred meters of that swim, I'm coming in, I'm going, just get me on land. And then I can go and bike and I know I can run, but man, that swim kicked my butt. That was a lack of training on my part. Not the most fun way to, uh, you know, have that come to mind, but being a beginner is hard and it's hard for so many reasons. I'm sure you and I have both worked with beginners before, and, uh, I'd love to kind of hear your take on, you know, whether approaching a beginner or even your experience as a beginner. Yeah. So when I was thinking about this introduction and kind of what I wanted to talk about, of course, I thought, you know, of course I, I can think about times I was a beginner in a sport or athletics, but I think the strongest example and what I'll kind of use uh, to talk about what I think is important to keep in mind, whether you're beginning or coming back from an injury or 
you know, just taking some time off, trying a new area of your sport. So if you're going from road to trail, anything like that. So my example is uh, the guitar. So I, throughout my life, since I was about 12, would just occasionally strum the guitar, uh, play songs here and there, but wasn't very good. Never practiced consistently. Always got frustrated. Uh, when my son was about three months old, I decided I was going to start playing the guitar for him every night when he went to bed. And that was going to become our ritual. And it was really frustrating because every night I would try to do a little practice. I'd follow an app that would like give me some instruction and then play a new song or work on a song I'd already been working on. And some nights I came in and I felt great. My mind was sharp. My hands were nice, like nice and relaxed. And I felt like I could play for hours. My son would fall asleep and I would still stay up there and just kind of mess around for a long time. And other nights I just couldn't get over fast enough. It was just like, I wasn't in the mood. It was difficult. I couldn't get the bar cord. Like it was painful. Um, and I was just not having a good time. But now that it's been almost a year of playing every night for 30 to 120 minutes, depending on the night, um, you know, I can see improvement and I know that I'm better than I was. However, in the moment, it didn't feel that way. And I think that's what I see a lot with athletes, whether again, they're coming back from an injury or they're completely new to the sport is we get so stuck in the moment. We get so stuck in each run where all you can see is I'm here and these other people are way up ahead of me. Um, you know, I can see that I am not Jimi Hendrix every single night and I never will be, but I know that I am gradually improving. And I think that's what we need to remember in running is you put in the work and you show up and you do what you can. And you know, some days are going to be really, really hard and some days are going to feel great. And you just continue to encourage yourself and show up for yourself. Give yourself that time, give yourself that permission to not be good at something. And eventually you'll, you'll get there. Um, I mean, and I'd like to hear kind of you, Andrew, whether it's been you or an athlete, what are your takeaways of being a beginner? Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, you really, you hit it on the head for me as I, as I watch a lot of beginners that like the first trap they fall into after they fall into the, I'm going to go as hard as I can, as often as I can trap. The second trap is, well, all these guys on Strava, like I beat them in the 5k, but they're all running faster than me, you know? And you're like, well, just give it six months, give it a, give it a training cycle. And so I think in that same sense, like run the race you're in or run, be in the run that you're in, right. Go out and do that easy run as it needs to be. And I think the other piece of it is, is like, trust that this is iterative. There is Lexi 1.1 that started as a guitar player. There's Lexi 1.2 that learned how to do bar chords and new shapes. There's Lexi 1.3 that can play a whole song by memory. And then now she can sing on top of it. And so this iteration is really important for beginners to understand because that is where they have to be able to see the growth because growth doesn't always happen as a better time on the time clock. You know, it's, it's almost that, Hey, did you, did you grow as a person? Are you mentally stronger? And you know, there's, there's so many other pieces of that, that puzzle that a beginner really needs to understand before they can be at a place with like, I know how to do this. And they're the ones that are then giving advice. And that's when I think you've moved from being maybe like a beginner to an amateur and even into like a, you know, a seasoned veteran is like, are you giving advice yet? And that's where I feel like that tipping point is for some people is that if they're not willing to give advice, they still kind of fall into that beginner's phase. But if you're at a place where you can be like, Hey, you know, like don't wear a cotton t-shirt for this 10 K like it's small advice, but it's good advice. 
Completely. And I think also, along with that, if you are new to something, never be afraid to tell someone what you've learned because you actually have it the most fresh in your mind. Somebody mm -hmm. who's been doing something for 10 or 15 years isn't going to remember what it's like to be new. Uh, so I would say in the same vein, even if you feel like you are the furthest person away from, you know, guiding someone, like lean into that confidence and give that permission to yourself to, to let them know what you've learned. Uh, because one, it'll help you. It'll keep it fresher in your memory. If you're telling them, you know, how to pace yourself, how to like find your zones, whatever it is. And then two is you're going to have a whole lot more empathy and compassion than somebody who doesn't remember the beginning. Um, That's right. But anyway, super excited to dive into this episode. Uh, check out Laura's site and let's dive in. Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance Podcast. I'm today's host, Lexi Miller, joined today by Laura Carden. Laura Carden is not only a coach with Life's Too Short Fitness, where she works with women who are getting into the sport of running, but she also is the manager of a webpage called Outdoor Beginner, where she helps people get involved in the outdoors, giving them information and guidance that they may not be getting elsewhere in life. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Lexi. Well, I'm really excited to, to chat with you again. We actually tried to record this earlier and I had some technical difficulties, uh, but I'm really hopeful for today that it's going to go a little bit better. So Laura, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Who are you? Um, I try to think of myself overall, someone who is curious and always trying to learn. Um, but besides that, I'm also a mom, um, a spouse, a trail runner, a coach with Life's Too Short Fitness, as you mentioned, um, a little bit of a gear nerd and definitely more of a shoe nerd since starting to work at Runner's Roost um, here in Golden, Colorado. Um, and I also write beginner-friendly content on my website, Outdoor Beginner. Um, and I started running as, I guess, on the athlete side, like I started running as an adult, like very quote unquote late in life at the ripe old age of 25 after, you know, never running in high school or college. My dad was a really big runner as a kid, uh, but I never really got into it um, until I moved to Denver about 10 years ago. Uh, everybody else was running and it looked like they were having a great time. So I decided to try it out with like shuffling around my block until um, I worked up to to my first 5k and then um, got hooked on trail running um, actually with a REI employee that I was looking to buy some trail running shoes I actually I can't remember exactly what uh, possessed me to do that but um, the guy that helped us helped me and my husband at REI at the time was like he had this running group out in Golden um, that was actually really beginner friendly and he talked me into it after having a lot of failed uh, running group experiences in Denver um, and being able to actually like find a group that was super beginner friendly um, and inclusive was really fun and got me, like I said, hooked on trail running. Um, and now I work as a running coach um, and in running retail. Um, most of my career before that was in the communications world and the nonprofit industry. Um, and I like to think like the line through all of it is I like, really like helping people understand complicated information and kind of making it easier for people to learn and feel welcome somewhere. Absolutely. And I think that's something I'd like to hear a little bit more about is kind of that what you did before you entered into the world of being a coach and creating this content. Mm -hmm. um, I met you when we were both supporting our, our fellow coach, uh, Hillary Osborne at the High Lonesome 100. And I saw it was so fascinating how you had kind of gotten to know Colorado. 
Yeah, um, I moved to Colorado, like I said, about a decade ago, um, which is weird to say. <laughs> but I moved from the East Coast from Maryland, uh, and I lived in the suburbs of DC and wasn't super outdoorsy. Um, but I started, I got a job working at Great Outdoors Colorado, um, or GoCo for short, which is this really cool organization that we have in Colorado that redistributes lottery funds um, through outdoor recreational land conservation grants. Um, so most of the grant recipients were land conservation organizations or local governments. Um, and I really knew nothing about Colorado at that point. My job before then, I actually worked out of state at uh, horseback riding competitions um, for half the year. So I really didn't even experience uh, a lot of Colorado for the first year or so that I moved here. And like coming from Maryland, there's never a shortage of water or deer. And in Colorado, we were trying to figure out how to save both. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, I guess there is still kind of like a weird animosity towards transplants too, that definitely had already started by the time I was at GoCo. So like there were times that I didn't even want to mention I was a transplant or not from Colorado. Um, but over the years, that job really helped me learn a ton about the state. I had like a unfortunately fading, but kind of oddly encyclopedic knowledge of like every county and municipality in Colorado. Like my husband could be like, where is this? And I'd be like, oh, here and here's five GoCo funded projects there too. <laughs> um, and so throughout uh, working there, I really learned a lot about the state and about the outdoor recreation industry. Um, and while I was at GoCo, we launched a campaign called Generation Wild um, that eventually got paired up with a multi-million dollar grant program as well. Um, but the marketing campaign side that I worked on was all around getting more kids outside. Um, and it was really exciting to get to work on improving equitable access to the outdoors and thought kind of went beyond just beginners, but was kind of a cool way to be able to do, you know, I'd been doing outdoor beginner kind of in my spare time um, and being able to do that at work too was really fun. Um, and then after having my first kid and staying home through, as a mom through the pandemic and, you know, kind of going through a bunch of huge life changes, I realized that I don't want to go back to the office. Um, and so I got my running coach certification and started exploring the options in the running world. That's amazing. So I kind of want to break this interview up into two sections. So the first part, we're going to talk about, you know, being a beginner and how, um, you know, beginners can find support, how they can find confidence and talk a little bit more about your website and how that is supportive. And then the second part, I want to talk more to people who have the experience and how they can be more supportive, how they can avoid gatekeeping and kind of bring down the elitism that we see, especially here in, in Colorado. But to begin yeah. with, let's dive into the beginner side. Tell me a little bit more about your website. Yeah, so Outdoor Beginner um, was an idea that I had while I was camping with my husband um, before I met him. We were just dating at the time, but um, when we met, I had never gone camping before. I think there was maybe like one failed Girl Scouts camping trip that I vaguely remember from when I was a kid. Um, but I'd always kind of wanted to be outdoorsy, um, but hadn't really ever had any uh, friends or family or anyone encouraging that or able to kind of like show me the way. Um, so I realized like I lucked into this awesome guide to the outdoors in my husband because he had been backpacking and trail running and like he'd been athletic his whole life and just was also one of those people that just like didn't care if they knew anybody. <laughs> he was just like going to go out and do it. Um, and I definitely needed like a little bit more of that handholding into like um, how to go camping and like he had all the gear and all of this stuff. And I was like, I'm still having a hard time feeling like I can figure this out when I have this like in-house outdoor guide. So like how 
are people going to figure it out if they don't have a Billy in their life? Um, like I do. And like, there was also to some extent, like having someone that was really experienced was great, but it wasn't the same as hearing, um, from someone that was also a beginner. Like, uh, hopefully, uh, my husband, I look back on this fondly now. I'm not sure if he does, but the first time that I ever went skiing, um, I did really well in the lesson and I was having lots of fun. And my husband was like, Oh, this looks pretty easy. Like, let's do this run together now at the end of the day. And like, it was a total disaster. <laughs> I went, I like was like sliding down on my butt, like crying the whole way down, like the second half down. And I was realizing like there just really wasn't something that I was hearing from other beginners that I could like trust. Like, okay, well, you think this is easy, but like, what is your definition of easy um, or beginner friendly? Um, so I have always liked writing. And so I just started the blog to see just as a creative outlet and also like for a while, it was just my mom and Billy reading it. But uh, now like it, it's grown to it's not, you know, the biggest blog in the world. And it's not my day job. But it is cool to see like, people that write in or contact me, like, going back to the skiing example, like I wrote a kind of like step by step guide to like, this is what all the runs at Copper Mountain are like. And so like, I'll hear from people like, I was so scared to like, I couldn't figure anything out a copper and like, this helped me. So I, it's not running, not all of it is running related, but it's been cool to kind of hear from other people um, that it's helped them too, because that was really the impetus for trying it. Like, there's just a lot of things that experienced people don't think about. And like, for me too, it's a good exercise every time I write those blogs now, because now I have been camping a million times. And so I don't always think about like, oh, does this person know what a vault toilet is? Or like, what is a like steep trail for someone? Um, it's kind of a good thought exercise for me to do all the time for myself um, too, because they're just, is there's more and more now, which is really great to see. Um, but especially at the time when I was starting the blog, um, like five or six years ago, it wasn't really readily available to find information that really drilled down to like the basics and assumed you knew nothing, um, but not in a condescending way. And also in a way that kind of helped you encourage you to get out there. Completely. And I think that it's a good reminder um, that <clears throat> when we, we push people in what we feel is something reasonable or safe, everyone has different limits. Um, and I think that's a big thing that kind of holds beginners back is maybe they've gone through some experiences that have been scary, uncomfortable, uh, and not on their terms of wanting that kind of adrenaline rush in that moment. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think kind of speaking to beginners, how do you build confidence? How do you set boundaries? Yeah, I think the key is really setting those boundaries. Um, that second part of it, um, I think like it may be intimidating to ask I don't think there are any dumb questions, but quote unquote, like dumb beginner questions. Um, if people are rude to you about that, then like that's on them. And also like, they're maybe not your people then you got to keep looking. Um, but definitely setting boundaries and asking a lot of questions because like I said, unfortunately, like most running groups, especially like don't really think through like what all these subjective terms actually mean for people. Like if you say you're going for a slow run. Um, I always ask the group now <laughs> what that means to them. Um, because I remember going to a group in Wash Park, um, like really early on. I don't, I don't want to talk bad about them, but it wasn't the most beginner friendly experience. Just not my people. And, um, you know, I went there without asking any questions and they were like dividing everybody up into group paces at the beginning. And they were like, okay. And then they like, they were like, you know, six minute pace, six thirty pace, 
seven minute pace. And I was like, oh, there just must be a lot of groups because they're surely going to get down to me eventually. And then it was like the slowest group was like nine minute pace at the back. And I was like, oh, that's still like several minutes faster than I can run at this point. I mean, still. And uh, so I now always make sure to ask plenty of questions about like, where are we going? What's the specific route? Um, like what's the specific paces? Like how do you, if you are going to be running at a way faster pace, but you say that it's all paces, then like, how do you manage all those different paces? Like I have gotten over the hump of being embarrassed about telling people, especially on trails, like I hike uphill and I am especially like on this route, I'm going to have to hike uphill. So like, how do you keep everybody together? Or do you like, cause there is also like the idea of like a no drop run. But then that, even within that, you can still ask questions, I've realized, because, like, I have been at the all the way back, and then you get to where everybody has stopped to wait for you, and they, like, as soon as they see you, they're off again, and you're like, that is, I just needed a break, wasn't envisioning we were going to keep running. Okay, so I think asking as many questions as you can, and, like, kind of paying attention to that kind of language that people use, like, it doesn't feel great if they're going to tell you, like, oh, yeah, it's super slow, we go at an eight-minute pace, like, that definitely feels very like exclusive and not fun to hear. But I think you just have to kind of like push yourself to be the person asking all those questions so that you can set boundaries for yourself and make sure you're not getting in over your head because that's just going to make you not want to get out there again. Like it's definitely also on people to make things more beginner friendly, like we'll talk about later. But the biggest thing is just like pushing yourself to get out there. Like it's not always going to feel comfortable and great, unfortunately, like I wish it would. Um, but that discomfort is kind of part of what is rewarding to me about running also. So like you can learn to tolerate that discomfort in other ways. And like, if you show up to a run, even if like you've asked all these questions, you show up to the run and you like quickly realize that they were not maybe as forthcoming about how they're going to be like, if you're somewhere that you feel comfortable, which would be another tip, like if you're going to join a group, like hopefully make it somewhere that you are pretty familiar with where you're going, especially for trail running, like road running. If you're going to, you know, a group that runs around city park, like it's kind of hard to get lost. Um, if you go too far in either direction, you can just get an Uber. And, uh, but on the trails, like I, anytime I try out a new running group or like I'm suggesting one, I try to make it, um, make sure that I've been on the trail before and I know where I'm going. So like in the case of like having to go somewhere and just be like, you know what? Uh, I think like it's the group just isn't that good of a fit. Like I'm just going to do my own pace or like it's okay to drop me and leave me behind. Like I'm just going to head back or do a shorter loop or something. Like you don't really want to be getting into that somewhere that you're not familiar with. Um, so definitely the first time or really any time that you're joining, it's always helpful to know where you're going, if it's somewhere familiar and ask all of the questions up front that you can think of, of like pace, route, how long they're going, um, like what the options are, like if they're waiting for you at trail intersections, if for some reason they're not, like probably don't go, but also just make sure you have a map if you do decide that you want to do, to go somewhere that they're not going to wait at intersections. Um, and then looking for groups that are definitely like skew a little bit more to the social side versus like performance or training like you can do all those things if you're a beginner but definitely in Colorado I've found like if you are going are looking for groups like anything that mentions like social time as the priority is also usually a good sign that they'll be pretty actually beginner friendly 
I think that's a really great point with making sure the group's a good fit. Um, like I know Trail Sisters is one that's usually pretty mm-hmm. accommodating, especially for women that they, they are a no drop group and try to stick pretty close to that. Um, and then, you know, I think it's always a good idea to ask for the map or a description of the course, even if you're going to be running with people, um, it can just kind of take away some of that anxiety as you're out there. You kind of know what to expect. What about how do people find resources either for getting involved in groups? And then we'll talk about gear in a second, but we'll kind of stick with getting involved in groups or, you know, going and trying something new on their own. Yeah. Um, fortunately, Trail Sisters, if you're uh, a woman or identify as a woman, um, you have they have chapters like all over the country and it seems like they're adding them um pretty frequently as well um if you are otherwise looking if you're local golden mountain runners is a really good group that they've recently done like my dream running group description of like they are very explicit about like these are the three groups we have like group a b c group c like hikes uphill and runs at you know this pace and they're going on this route and like then they'll have, you know, kind of up from there, like this group, you know, wants to maybe jog uphill. And this group is like running the whole thing uphill. Um, and like, you know, like running at this pace on the flats. Um, and I think they've done a really good job. Um, I'm not as familiar with other local running groups, since obviously I live here. <laughs> not uh, That would be really fun to kind of explore all the other groups around the country. But I don't think anyone would pay me for that. Um, and if you're Honestly, just Google or Meetup is an is where um, I found that original trail running group. Um, now I can't I can't actually remember the name of it, which is terrible. Um, but uh, Meetup and um, even just Googling like your city or town's name with running group, um, it can definitely be harder if you live in less uh, populated areas to find um, other beginner runners. So, like, I know that there's like an there's always like online coaching or online communities too, um, that you can look into for that. Um, a lot of it is honestly just Googling it. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it can be tricky to find, but, um, between that and hopefully the content on outdoor beginner can kind of help you get out there. I think there's like, there's been a lot more beginner friendly content on kind of like the bigger traditional outlets, like trail runner magazine or outside magazine. Um, but there's still a lot of, uh, progress to make on like what well again just like when you have so much knowledge it can be kind of hard to like simplify things down to the level um that I do on outdoor beginner like it can be uh definitely a little bit trickier to find stuff like that um but overall like REI has a pretty good blog also um that they've I think they've done a good job with um and a lot of the times it is just kind of like continuing to search until you find something in your area. Um, but I hope that outdoor beginner is a good resource for people and also groups like life's too short, um, fitness can be, uh, which is like a in-person coaching option. If you have something like that nearby, that's like a trail running clinic, maybe is something you could search because that's essentially what we do with these six week introductory courses that kind of teach you all the basics, get you familiar with some, some, um, trails in the area and then also give you that community too. But um, there's a lot of really great uh, local groups all over the country that do that kind of work. For sure. And I would say, especially in running, um, you know, if you can find a local running shoe store, they're usually a great resource to get you involved in a group or kind of find out what's going on locally. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've also heard people having success with using apps like Nextdoor and finding mm-hmm. a running buddy who's around the same ability as them. If it's something mm-hmm. where just like you're new and having that social aspect is encouraging. Mm-hmm. So I think that'd be the other thing I want to touch on okay. about beginners before we move on to the other side of, of, you know, decreasing gatekeeping is how do you build your confidence as a beginner and how do you push yourself to get out versus when do you allow yourself to kind of, not, I don't want to say give into the fear, but, you know, allow yourself a little bit of space. I think a lot of it is just kind of keeping that, like, like staying in tune with what your gut and body are telling you, like, as like maybe woo woo as this might sound to some people, like a lot of that, like being tuned into what your body is saying is really helpful. Like, cause even if maybe technically you could do something like if you're so anxious about it that you're not going to enjoy it, then like today is not the day to try that. And that's okay. I think the hardest part sometimes is being okay with not pushing yourself because there's so much around like what pace are you running and how far are you going and what races are you doing and what like cool Instagrammable things are you out there doing? And then it like feels like you're a failure if you're not doing that kind of thing. Um, like I was even noticing that like at the end of the summer, I hadn't done any like quote unquote cool Alpine adventures or anything. And now it's like too late to go high up because it's snowing and like I'd wasted the summer and it's like, that is ridiculous. Like some of it is, or it's not, it's uh, real, but not true. As I like to say, like your feelings are valid, but the voice in your head is being unreasonable and not like, not a lot. Like, I think you should listen to your fear when you're feeling genuinely overwhelmed into afraid of something. But like, just because you're not doing epic things or whatever, doesn't mean that you're not a runner or a quote unquote real runner. I think that's the biggest thing that I've struggled with over the years and what people continue to struggle with is like, they think if they're not doing some certain level of thing, they're not a real runner or a real hiker. They're not like actually outdoorsy, Um, which I would just try to encourage people to work through that and redefine what it is. Like, why are you getting outside? For me, I run for fun to get outside and experience nature. I like to do something difficult that gets my heart rate up. Um, And so if you're meeting those criteria, like you don't have to be doing anything more challenging. Like, again, going back to the skiing example, like if I, I realized at a certain point, like I probably am never going to ski that, like I am never going to ski a black diamond run maybe, which like, that's fine. I'm still a skier. (laughs) And I think, there's like a very fine line between pushing yourself to do more. If that's what you really want to do, that's great. And like, again, just find out that information ahead of time, you know, go with somebody that knows what they're doing that you can trust. um, And that you can also trust yourself to set boundaries with if you do get in over your head. And like, if you are having fun, and you never want to become an intermediate at or advanced at anything that that's okay, too. Like if you're enjoying yourself and getting whatever benefits you're getting, you wanted to get out of that activity, then that's perfectly okay. Like you don't have to do speed workouts if you don't ever want to get faster. That's fine. (laughs) I think at least. So I think especially like social media is such a blessing and a curse in that way of like, I have found so many other people that like celebrate that like inclusivity part of running that even if which like there's kind of a fine line between like 
also beginner and inclusive, like you can be inclusive to beginners, but then there's fortunately also like so many other people out there making running and other outdoors things inclusive of other identities and races and ethnicities and all of the other identities that have been excluded from the outdoors um, that go beyond beginners. But like looking through that beginner lens, like there's so many people that are, you know, making it more accessible of like, I run slow, or I just started out, and I don't really know what I'm doing, like figure it out with me. Um, but those people also get like a really a lot of really vile comments still. So I think it's like you get both on social media, which is like kind of where we all end up going for information these days. And so being able to like seek out the people that are your people either online or in real life, if you're able to find that community in person, um, can be a long process, but it's worth it. And being able to like find again, like Hillary is our friend Hillary is actually a great example of like, she is way more advanced than I am. Like she, as you said, we, we met while supporting her running a hundred miles. And like, I may never do that. And I also can't uh, run as fast as her and I can't do a lot of the things that she does. And that prevented me from ever running with her for like two years of knowing her. And eventually like I knew that Hillary was a good, like safe person for me to run with. And so I just took her up on her offer to run together and was again, like very upfront about like, this is what I can do and what I'm looking to get into today. And like, unsurprisingly, she was like, great. Like, I'm not holding her up or ruining her training by just wanting to go for a run with a friend. And I think that's an important thing to remember is if somebody invites you, their intentions are probably good. Um, Mm -hmm. They're not inviting you to drop you or they're going to be disappointed. They probably know where you are and you know where Mm -hmm. they are. So someone inviting you to run truly means that they just want to spend time with you. And so Mm -hmm. I think that was something that was hard for me to learn is I would feel intimidated. Mm -hmm. I would feel like. You know, I'd be like, oh, I just don't want to like slow them up or like mess up their training. But just remembering if there's an invitation, it's it's open. And then, you know, doing the same thing is occasionally like taking a step back from your training and inviting someone mm-hmm. who may not be at that same mm-hmm. level as you, whether they're higher or lower and inviting them on an easy run. I think that's yeah. a good way to kind of engage and share share that running love. Um, as we kind of move into talking about being a good steward of the sport and including people, I want to start off with kind of how we talk about things. Cause I think that's, you know, a little bit of that transition there is, mm-hmm. you know, at the most basic level, we can have the best intentions, but how we phrase things can, can start to exclude people from the sport. So I know for me, uh, coming back from having a baby, it was really tempting to call things slow, like to be like, it was a slow run today. I feel so slow. Like, look how slow I'm running. And I had to consciously remember that this pace that I'm running, while it might feel slow to where I was, you know, when I was a single gal with no kids and all I did was train (laughs) for marathons, um, it may not be slow to others. And to others, it would be incredibly like painfully slow. So I had to like work on not labeling things slow or fast. What are some other ways that you see how we label things as being exclusionary? Yeah, I think the idea of label things slow is so interesting to me because I think also inherently somehow we've kind of conflated slow with bad, like that if you're slow, it's a bad thing or that you're not a good runner. Um, So I first would challenge people to think like, try to neutralize the word slow, like it's okay if you're slower or if other people are slow. And if you are 
even if you're able to kind of decouple those things, like slow doesn't give enough information for a beginner. So if you're saying, and I actually made this mistake, like, a week ago at work. So um, I am not perfect. And it's a work in progress for everybody. But like, we still have to try. Um, so I was organizing a group run. And I said it was going to be slow. And like, I know that that means actually slow for me. But like, nobody else knows that people it was through runners roost. And like, it was a new event. And like, so people didn't know me. And they didn't know what I meant by slow. And like, but I was in a hurry. And I need to get that Instagram post up. <laughs> so I didn't think about it. And like, I would I wish that I had just slowed down for a minute and been like okay I did put all the pace and route information at the link that I had linked to but like nobody's gonna click on that if I don't put the information that they need on the original post or thing so kind of thinking about all of the things that we find to be like obvious are usually actually pretty subjective instead of objective so like focusing your language on that more objective information of like we're going at an 11:30 pace and we are r- running uphill or walking uphill or and we are going for a 3 mile run at Matthews Winters Park like on this route cuz you I mean a lot of times even if you're like i think as you get more capable it doesn't seem like a big deal to add on a couple miles so it's like a 3 to 6 mile run is like not going to happen for like some people can definitely only one run 3 miles and they only want to come if you're running 3 miles um so really taking a look at like your first draft of whatever you're putting out there um, or taking a second to think before you speak, which is hard um, of like, what it, what kind of subjective information do I have in what I'm saying that I could actually make a lot more objective? And then similarly for beginners, like if you're talking about tempo runs or speed, like intervals or like even how you like... uh how you type out or like, um, the, sorry, the format that you do, you know, speed workouts in or anything like that, like that is like a foreign language to a lot of people. And so, you know, most social runs are usually just like you're going for an easy run, <laughs> which again is relative for all people. Um, but if you're ever like finding yourself getting into that more like technical information too, then like maybe take a step back and think about like, okay, like, if someone didn't know what I was talking about, how would I actually explain what we're doing? Um, And that labeling of things, I think, can really help when you're much more explicit about what you're doing and specific about what's happening. Um, And also, like, I'd really want people to think about, like, why do we think being slow is bad? Or, like, similarly, and again, like, this is different kind of inclusivity. It doesn't always um, mean the same thing as beginners, like assuming people don't know what they're talking about or don't know what they're doing just because they don't like quote unquote look like a runner, which is, there is no one way to look like a runner, but a lot of people still assume, um, like check what you're assuming about people too. Like if someone shows up to the group run, but looks a certain way that doesn't mean that they're going to be fast or slow. So like just for everybody's benefit, just be a little bit more specific about what you're doing and don't assume assume and be kind when people ask you questions that you might think are silly. No, I think definitely when you hear a question that you might not think is serious, just answering it seriously, answering it with compassion is huge. So, you know, moving a little bit deeper into gatekeeping and exclusionary Mm -hmm. practices, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, both of us living in uh, Colorado and you're in Golden. I'm up in Louisville, which is up by Boulder. 
And there can definitely be some attitudes out on the trails that I don't know are always intentional, but they can definitely be hurtful. Um, I want to hear either your own experiences or things that you've seen of how you've seen gatekeeping either in the running community or just the outdoor community in general. Yeah, I think um, it can happen in a lot of ways, either out on the trail or even just when you're trying to get into it with gear. Um, There is just there's something inherently intimidating about going into even REI. <laughs> um, honestly, the first time I went to REI, I felt very out of place. Um, and like, I remember the first time that I went to an actual running store to get my first pair of like purposeful running shoes. Cause I, I had just gone to like Dick's and gotten some, like, I don't, I can't even remember because I just had no information. And I was like, I just need running shoes and I don't want to spend very much money on them. Like these feel fine. Um, and so I brought those in to the running store because I was, and I was like really proud of myself. I'd run my first 5k. I was like really feeling like a runner. And like, I had gotten a gift card from my mother-in-law to get like quote unquote real running shoes. And I was like really excited to go to the running store. And then I was like, you know, the running store person asked you like, Oh, what are you looking for? And I was like, like these shoes. I don't know. These are my first running shoes and they, I like them. So something kind of like that. And she like looked at the shoes and then looked at me and was like, well, these are like bargain bin clearance shoes. So we don't really have this. And like, it just felt like a punch in the gut. Like, oh, I thought all along that like I was part of the running community and like that I was like getting into this sport and like clearly I'm still not in it or like I'm still an outsider somehow, even though like I run and I ran in these shoes and I had done really amazing things for in these shoes for me. Um, and like, I think you can just be again, like mindful about like knowledge is a gift and a curse. And like working at a running shoe store now, I can see how you might like have that knee jerk reaction of like, we don't even carry these shoes because like, they're not like of a certain caliber or whatever. And we like, even if you're going for the angle, like we pride ourselves on carrying really high quality shoes that's awesome. And like, if someone's coming into a running store for running shoes, like there isn't really any reason to make it, make them feel stupid or make them feel like they're not a runner. Like just being, sometimes it's just as simple as like being kind to someone. And like you said, like if someone's asking a question that you think like, Oh, that can't be a serious question. That's such a dumb question. Like, again, like check your assumptions and think about being a little bit more kind and answering the question seriously and being there to help someone learn because that's all I was looking for and all people are really looking for. And like, I think that is really common for some, unfortunately for some reason, because like there's so many people that come into the store and runners that like, I can tell are like really self-conscious about like, I just need some shoes, but I have, I haven't had real running shoes before. And like, they're just like all this negative self-talk about it. And I'm like, I'm just happy like that you want to run and get the same out of it that I do. Like I love running and I want to share that with people. So like trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes about like, well, why would you want to be gatekeeping or like keeping people like make people feel like they don't know what they're talking about when you have this really cool opportunity to welcome someone into the sport and give them a really good experience and like help them learn because as we do know like there is just a bonkers amount of stuff to learn about running like you go into it thinking 
you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a simple sport. All you need is a pair of shoes and you go out your front door. It's like, it's actually way more complicated than that. So like, just try to remember how much you had to learn to get where you are and then like be excited about sharing that knowledge with someone else and not judgy about it. Completely. I think that's a huge thing is whether you work in the running industry or, you know, you're giving advice to a friend who's new is just being kind about, you know, one, they might not have the financial buy-in right away, which is fair. Like you might be running in something from Dick's Sporting Goods for a couple of years because you don't have that time or money to invest into a new pair of shoes. And that's okay. That doesn't make you less of an athlete. Um, it just makes you conscious of, of where you are. I think and we can kind of dive into this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I kind of know them because we already had this conversation. Um, but looking at gatekeeping, you know, I like to believe that people are usually good. Like they aren't doing things to be cruel or malicious. I believe it tends to come from two places. One is we need to have this feeling that we're good at something. Like we really just want to feel like we put a lot of time and effort into something. I know I grew up in a very outdoorsy family, so it was like having the silver spoon in my mouth. Like I grew up backpacking and kayaking and my both my parents were ultra runners. So there was a lot of things that came to me at a young age, not because I sought them out, but that's because I was fortunate. And it was something I had to kind of adapt around to, to realize it was not because I was better. It was just, I had that ability. Um, I think that's huge with skiing. That's one that I can get on a high horse about that, like, being a good skier doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good skier just means you had a lot of opportunities in life, myself included. Um, and the other place I think it comes from is almost this false desire of preservation. Um, and I can see this a lot when it comes to like an environmental movement. And that's kind of what I want to talk about first with you is how have we used gatekeeping under the guise of preservation or environmentalism? Yeah, it's something that I feel so torn about because like I do recognize the impact that more humans are having on all the places that we love going outside. And like you said, also, I think we need to assume good intent with people. And like, at least that's how I go through life. Like, I'd much rather just assume good intent um, and like try to actually educate people instead of just locking them out or like assuming like, I don't like the assumption that just because people are new to something, that means that they're going to mess it up. <laughs> um, or that, like you said, like you have any right to be there just because you got there a few years earlier than somebody else. Um, I mean, there's that attitude even when it comes to like moving to Colorado, <laughs> not even recreating in Colorado yet. Like, as it was a very odd thing to be met with when I moved here that like people were really like mad that I had decided to move to the place that they had lived or been born to born um, in. And like, I think it can feel so hard because it feels like you're protecting something you love and we don't want to see things, you know, overrun or destroyed. And like, yes, I don't love going like leaf peeping in the fall and having to deal with like all of the people making TikToks about the leaves. But like, I kind of swallow that and just realize that like, how I enjoy the outside outdoors is not how everybody else enjoys it. There's definitely a line between like annoying and destructive. Like if you see someone doing something destructive, 
yelling at them isn't going to change anything, but definitely like if you feel comfortable kindly intervening and saying like, Oh, actually, I don't know. Actually is never a good way to start a sentence. Let's be real. Nobody's ever uh, responded well to that. Like, I think it can be really hard to, to educate people in a way that doesn't sound condescending or like you're being an annoying rulesy person. Um, but I just don't think that like hiding, keeping all the places to yourself or like not using locations on Instagram about where you go camping and like, or like I've had people like comment on my, not even my public outdoor beginner Instagram, but like my personal one that has like 10 people following me are like, don't tell people about that trail. It's a good secret. And it's like, well, it's a really cool place. Like we shouldn't keep people out and assume that any new people are going to destroy it. And I think it is still an important issue to try to figure out at like a, a higher level um, through like land management or nonprofits and local governments, like trying and other, you know, local groups to try to figure out like, well, how do we make sure we are welcoming people without, you know, contributing to the overuse? Um, and like even the phrase overuse implies that like the new people shouldn't be using it. Um, but I mean, it, it is a really tough issue to try to navigate. And I don't think that the solution is keeping other people from discovering or enjoying the places that we just happened to get to before them. And I think that's where, you know, not that everyone's going to stop and read a sign, but having signs at trailheads with general rules for the trail, you know, stating them somewhere, because just like you said, it's never going to sound good coming from someone else. Um, I have my little sneaky ways of doing things. If I see someone throw some trash, I just say, oh, hey, can I grab that for you? I have a pack. I can carry it. And usually they feel oh guilty. God, I'll just take it. Uh, my <laughs> other thing is if I see someone with a dog off leash, I say, oh, I just saw a ranger back there and I don't want you to get a ticket. I know I've gotten a citation for having my dog off leash, which has never happened. But they think I'm being a nice person and I'm yeah. really just being a, a rule follower. Um, oh, I need to start using that. Dogs off leash. Like I love dogs mm-hmm. and dogs off leash are just like really scary and rough to deal with as a person when you, it's not your dog. Yeah. And, and there's so much that can go wrong if it is your dog. Like the, anyway, that's a soapbox yeah. for another time, but that's, that's one that I have. <laughs> I'll dogs a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'll just sit and ramble about all, all the, all the things that I like rules I like to follow. Uh, but mm-hmm. along with that, that kind of goes back to my elitism, right? Um, and that's something I'd like to kind of hear your side of too, is how can someone like me who was born in Colorado, grew up in the mountains, grew up being outdoorsy, how can I kind of check myself and acknowledge that not everyone's had these experiences? Um, you know, walk me through that. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit of a broken record on this, but just kind of going back to what we've talked about a lot of like assuming good intent. And coming from a place of being excited about sharing your sport and your knowledge with somebody else and welcoming them into the community of running. Like once you're, it shouldn't take, it shouldn't, it should be immediate, but as we all know, like once you're in, it's great, but like we should just make that whole, compress that whole part and make it immediately great to be part of running. You know, I think it's an awesome community that kind of gets in its own way sometimes by like assuming that you need to look a certain way or dress a certain way or have certain shoes or run a certain pace um, and really just not coming at it from that place of kindness and wanting to include people because the more people that run and the more community there is and the more visibility that we get and joy that people can get from running. So wanting to share that with other people and kind of coming from that mindset of um, abundance instead of scarcity and like 
if you share your running tips or welcome people in, it doesn't mean there's less for you or that like um, people are going to destroy the places that you love. Like just assume that people have good intent and are excited about getting started and that you can be that kind original person um, that welcomes them in and being part, doing that, you know, part of that is taking a second when you're talking or thinking about things like, Oh, like, I'm using all of this jargon or assuming that they're comfortable with stuff that maybe they're not comfortable with, or like they don't know what I'm talking about, or we have very different definitions of what easy is versus hard versus, you know, what they're not comfortable doing. Um, and on that same note, like if you have someone that's getting into the sport and you're taking them out, like it's on you to be a good steward of their boundaries and what they want to do and helping them have fun. Like the point is to get out with that person. Again, like back to what you were saying, like if someone's inviting you to do something, you should take that invitation. Like it's also on the inviter to be like, oh, I'm like here to spend time with this other person, not to like make a certain mileage or summit or whatever. Like you're there to be that person that can help them discover the sport and get more comfortable. So like if they say they're not comfortable doing something, then you need to listen to that boundary um, and not be like, not try to push them to do something that they don't want to do. You know, maybe eventually like you will inspire them to do something more and maybe not. And that's also okay. Um, And so the last thing I kind of want to talk about with that, elitism side or, you know, checking ourselves. And this probably comes from the fact that uh, for some reason last night, my son had me read anti-racist baby three times in a row. So it's very much on (laughs) my mind. It's a great book. Uh, (laughs) It comes in a board book version now for anyone who has a little one that might tear pages out of a book. Um, Mm -hmm. It has bright colors. It's, It's a big hit in our house. But it talks a lot about how we need to acknowledge our own racism, right? Like we all are we have these innate biases from where we grew up and what we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And I know this is a difficult conversation for us to have and maybe something that neither one of us can speak to fully because we are both um, presenting as white females and in our thirties. So like we might be people that are already seen as more outdoorsy than others, but I think it would be important to acknowledge how we might perceive other people as not being outdoorsy or not being athletic based on size, color, age, mm-hmm. and even class. So I'd like to hear kind of your opinion on that and then how we can address that. Yeah, I think there is a lot of crossover with any kind of inclusivity that you're doing. Like you have to acknowledge that you have these biases. Like I didn't start out with them, but like I said earlier, like I make the mistakes also that I tell people to not make <laughs> because I still like as I've gained fitness and experience, like all of a sudden it does get very easy to assume like what is easy and what is hard and what's accessible to people. Um, and like whether people can have access to a car to get somewhere or like have a flexible enough work schedule to do it. Um, so I think it is uncomfortable challenging those assumptions. Like we talked about earlier, like what do you think of when you think of the word slow or like, do you think all runners need to look a certain way or they don't take running seriously? Like I definitely like after gaining a lot of weight or gaining weight in pregnancy and then having a very different body after having a baby that still looked like a runner. Like I part of why I had a hard time with gaining weight is because I had this implicit idea that like 
being bigger was bad and meant like I wasn't in shape and I couldn't do things. And like, I really had to confront this entire idea of like what I considered to be athletic or being fit or being a runner even. And like, I think we have so many assumptions that about all kinds of identities, um, but definitely like we like I haven't experienced it firsthand because like you said, I'm white. I have a smaller body. Um, like I have the disadvantage of being a woman, but I mean, being white is a pretty big advantage. So um, having that kind of conversation with yourself, like it is uncomfortable to realize those things because I definitely always thought of myself as someone who's like really inclusive and doesn't judge anyone. And then I was like judging myself for being slow, for being bigger and like those are all really uncomfortable things for me to admit and like it is part of the learning process of like oh like I assume these things because I have biases against people that have those identities or that do those things and like if we really want running to be inclusive and for everyone to feel welcome uh then we have to confront those things because like those there are a significant amount of people that are running regardless of how mean people are to them, which like they shouldn't have to put up with that. And also like our being mean isn't going to like change them. Like they're running and they're runners. It's not up to us. It's up to every individual to define that. So like if you're unable to break out of that, then like it's not going to change the fact that other types of people are running and that people are getting into running and just starting out. And like, I think it can be really difficult to confront those things. And also like, if you've put a lot of work into something and you take it really serious, your definition of taking it really seriously looks a certain way, then it can feel like insulting almost. If you are like seeing someone do it differently, you're like, Oh, well, why aren't you taking this more seriously? Or like, why? Like you don't take it seriously because you are like wearing silly outfits or making TikToks or like you're uh, like, not just not taking this seriously because you go slow and like you could be faster if you just took it seriously and it's like this kind of internal conflict that you start having of like well I work really hard at this and people are making a mockery of what I'm doing and like I would also challenge people to kind of like think about the fact that like everybody's approach is different and like people can take it really seriously in different ways and also like maybe someone isn't taking it seriously but that really has no impact on you and the value of what you're doing so again, like be kind, assume good intent and just like challenge your own assumptions, which is really uncomfortable work, but it's work that we all need to do. In in rock climbing, there's a term that people use of spewing beta, which means beta is like, you know, how you do something or like, you know, okay. how you might climb up something. And so spewing, obviously, like you think of like throwing up. So it's when someone comes <laughs> up and they just like throw a bunch of information at you and they're like, you should do this, 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 and this. And you're like, hey man, I'm working this through on my own. And I think that's something like no matter where you are in the journey, you need to remember is like share what information you have, but make sure the person wants it first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, don't just come up to someone you see out on the trail or in the in REI or wherever and start telling them what they should do because maybe they know and that's just not their journey right now. Um, yeah. And I know that's something nobody I, likes. Un- yeah, nobody likes unsolicited advice. <laughs> no, and so it's yeah, just like you know, ask ask for consent to to give them information if you really feel like it's something that could benefit them um, or wait to be asked and then, and then share, but be careful about going up and just throwing things at someone that may not be willing to hear it or wanting to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had, I was at a running store one time and the uh, person working there, I was looking for leggings because I needed leggings. (laughs) 
I didn't have very many pairs and I got a gift card from a coworker for a secret Santa. So I wanted to get some. And like, I asked where the leggings were at the store and the person proceeded to give me a very long winded description as to why I was basically an idiot for thinking they were going to have any leggings in April because they had all the spring stuff and summer stuff. And I was like, I just want some, like, I'm just here for leggings. I have plenty of shorts and other things for running. I got a gift card and I want to use it for leggings. Do you have any? Like, that's all I was asking. So (laughs) I think like we can definitely just start spewing all this information out of a misguided way of sharing knowledge. But like with everything, it's kind of a fine line. And like, don't just assume that someone doesn't know anything or like, don't assume that they need to be told every like that they're asking because they're dumb and think that leggings are appropriate for April, which like arguably they are in Colorado, but <laughs> that's a whole nother topic. Um, and yeah, like don't, don't spew the beta. I like that idea. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll link to your website in the show notes, as well as to your profile at with life's too short. Uh, where else can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Outdoor Beginner. Um, and like you mentioned, at OutdoorBeginner.com is where the blog is. Um, and then I also coach with Life's Too Short Fitness. Uh, we have a year-round training group for women, but also our um, introductory, introductory trail running clinics are spring through fall. Um, and then I am fitting shoes and selling gear at Runners Rose Golden, too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you have some great fall adventures with your family this this fall. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Defining Endurance podcast. Want more knowledge after the show? You can go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Defining Endurance or follow me, Andrew, at Coach Simmons Runs. And And you can follow me, Lexi, at at Coach underscore Lexi underscore Lifelong Endurance uh, on Instagram. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us find more listeners like you and put out more shows.